Hey everybody, welcome back to Bipartisan Times. I know there's been a bit of a hiatus between the last uh, segment that we filmed versus the current one. However, with everything going on in the world, I felt as though um, we needed to take a break. We needed to make sure that everyone was safe. We need to make sure that, um, you know, we do some self-reflecting because with COVID-19 and all the protests and all the outlandish and outrageous, you know, backlash we've received from hate groups and individuals of, um, you know, white supremacists, it's just been a lot. Um, so uh, I started this channel and this podcast back in early 2020 because I felt as though marginalized communities and individuals of color and communities of color did not have a legitimate platform really to come forward and talk about these issues and get these things off our chest. Little did I know what 2020 would actually reveal. I had no idea that 2020 was going to, you know, really unveil uh, a lot of things that people like myself have always been, you know, trying to convince others is actually uh, experiencing. And so, um, you know, I want to say that America, you know, our problem is, whether you're listening to this as an American or overseas or, or watching it, whatever, um, America's racist. And that is the problem. America's racist and there's a form of white privilege and um, white supremacy. And I believe that with the removal of statues and various, you know, names being rechanged in various cities, I think that that is definitely a step, but we've got to do a lot more um, because, uh, there are laws that are set to oppress us and there are laws that are set there to keep people in power in power. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about, speaking of such power, is this idea of, you know, white privilege. And behind me, you can't see it if you're listening to podcast, is a picture of all the individuals, not all, some, a very small uh, group of individuals uh, that have been killed by law enforcement unjustifiably, senselessly. Um, many of the cases were suspicious and the officers weren't even, you know, brought to uh, justice. Um, I think that this is a problem. And America is very comfortable with oppressing black people. It's truly, uh, truly comfortable with that. And anytime you get a legging or a footing or you get a place, you know, where you can get that vote, you can get, voice your concerns, um, you get backlash. You get what, you know, uh, racism isn't real or you get people coming up with hate groups, feeling emboldened to fight. You get Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, and, and the bombing of Black Wall Street. Um, I think that uh, that is the real problem in America. And I've talked to many people who are either, you know, overseas or even over here, you know, and they say, what is going on in America? You know, or they ask questions about, well, in our country, we don't see people of color this way or we don't see black versus this. Um, but here in America, it is. And I think that we've swept it on the rug for so long, um, you know, from the way the country was founded to where we've operated and we could continue to been operating. I think that we've finally come to a place where um, we said enough is enough with the technology and you know, knowledge that we do have, um, we are going to fight back. And, you know, just like those uh, of the, the great icons of the civil rights movement who did their part, I think that we also need to do our part. We have got to do better because we're sick of this. You know, I guess this is a very, very, very small, you know, I got this picture offline. It's just a very small number of faces that have been killed senselessly. And I think that the reason why this continues also is because of 
white power. You know, um, we have here um, three individuals, Jonathan Mattingly, uh, Miles Costco, and Brett Hankinson. Hankinson? I think that, um, first of all, justice for Breonna Taylor. Secondly, these individuals have not been prosecuted because America does not like to prosecute white people. Okay, when it comes to the level of aggressiveness that they have against people of color, when it comes to the level of, um, you know, um, uh, like, like the sentencing, and it comes to just uh, how they perceive us versus them, their lives mean more. America truly doesn't want to prosecute white police officers, even though they killed a 26-year-old black woman sleeping in her apartment trying to serve a warrant that was not the proper location at all. Shot up the place, shot her eight times, and a number of times they shot up the place. And then they came up with some sort of like, um, like, I don't know, um, cooperation or scheme where they used her boyfriend's comments against him and determined that, okay, we're not going to prosecute them. There's nothing here to see. You know, that's what America's about. America's about making sure that white people are okay. And the grand old party, the GOP, the Republican party, is that vehicle, even as we wait right now for them to come to some sort of deal to help this, you know, the economy with another stimulus package. You know, it's always about making sure that white people are okay. And I'll say this, and like I said, I love everyone. If you are out there protesting and you are not black, if you are out here working in a, a job or doing something where you are bringing um, justice and, and, and giving the voices a voice and you are not black, thank you. If you are somebody out there who's white out there protesting, actually, you know, peacefully doing thing, things to say, okay, this got to change, thank you. And I'm not at all talking to you. I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking about those secret races, you know, those secret people who go into the, the booth and they vote for Trump, even though they may sit here at the table or they may, you know, um, not vocally, you know, or, or say that I'm a Trump supporter, but they get in the voting polls and they, they fill that bubble in for, you know, for Donald Trump. I'm talking to those races who are out there saying the KKK, this KKK, that, um, you know, you are protected by the white privilege. Here's what I think. I think that a lot of times you have people who, uh, well, you have white people. And like I said, my partner, he looks white, you know, he's Brazilian and I love everybody, you know. But I think you have white people that get into a position of power, whether it be in Congress, whether it be in the White House, whether it be in the school system, or it be in the city, or any sort of position of power, even in business. And they open doors for each other. They open doors and they grant each other with these, um, opportunities to make sure that their livelihood can stay afloat, that the mantle is passed down to the next generation, give someone an opportunity. Because I've seen individuals not, I've seen individuals who didn't have anything that I had when it came to credentials or education, literally be sitting there with, you know, amazing opportunities. And I'm like, okay, what did you do to get it? And they're just like, I just found it. Meanwhile, people like myself, people of color, are doing what we got to do and scavenging opportunities left and right and fighting each other to be that one diverse person in an office or a law firm, right? You know, I think that this is exactly that. This is white people protecting white people from being prosecuted. The same individuals that were empowered to, um, you know, uh, enforce the law, you know, um, are the same individuals who this time broke the law and they're not being prosecuted because they don't want to, you know, bring them to justice. 
They want to protect them. And that's why I say to you and people out there, whether you have color or not, that we have got to do more. Because they are going to make sure that the systemic racism continues over, that it cycles through. They're going to make sure that theirs can continue to, um, you know, uh, be protected or even in case, or make money, you know, um, where I think it was like, it was like, you know, um, you know, pass laws to make sure that they have a way to operate. Meanwhile, many communities of color are relegated. They are marginalized. They have no voice. Nobody cares. They hear crime happens. You know, we, we sob, we have a vigil, and they move on. But when it comes down to people like this, they protect them. And I think that we need to bring justice for Breonna Taylor. And that's why we have such an outpouring of protest. We have an outpouring of celebrities and individuals all across the board who are truly, um, you know, demanding for justice. But the reality is, it's the white privilege. That's what it's all about. And many people don't think that it applies to them. Many people who are speaking of privilege will come from a place of, oh, it happened so long ago. Slavery's not a concern. Or, you know, um, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that, you know, or I don't see anything wrong with it. I've had individuals come up to me and say, you know what, man, I am so sorry. Honestly, it's 2020 and I heard about these things and I never truly really believed them. But after seeing video evidence, it's like sometimes people don't look at things because it doesn't affect them or they out of sight, out of mind maybe. Or maybe they're just in a place where they don't really care to even re really want to think about it. Um, but given all the social media and um, all the platforms we have now to disseminate messages and to, you know, have accountability for injustices, I think now people are starting to believe. But that's why I created Bipartisan Times because I felt as though I've been experiencing, people like me have been experiencing these things for centuries. We've been experiencing these things in the silence and we just tell each other and we suck it up and we keep going. And I was like, no, we're going to get it off our chest. So I'm glad that things have been recorded. I'm glad that we have an outpouring. I'm glad that we're bringing people to accountable. And I think that, you know, those three individuals, Madeline Cosgrove and Hankinson, those officers that shot and killed that 26-year-old beautiful black woman sleeping in her bed needs to be brought to justice. But meanwhile, what do you have? Well, meanwhile, you have, you know, people making fun of it, right? You have individuals saying, if you're listening to some podcast, you know, there's a picture here of N-I-G-G-E-R-S, don't matter, K-K-K, and a guy pointing to it, smiling. You have communities where individuals are not taking this serious and making fun of it. It's one thing to not care and use your privilege, but it's a whole nother thing to make fun of it. Like communities, like I've talked to individuals who go to school in Parker, Colorado, and Highlands Ranch. I know all about, you know, they've told me, oh, yeah, the one guy, he was like, yeah, I'm biracial, man. I got so used to being called so many racist names. It was like whatever was expected. That's pretty much where they were. That's how things are operating in these suburban communities. They're making fun of it like it's some sort of joke. But we're being shot and killed senselessly, losing our lives, our families grieving, our future stolen from us by people that are in charge with the duty to protect and serve. And, 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 and then we have things people say, oh, well, you have affirmative action and blah, 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 blah. No, we can't be everybody's diversity symbol, baby. We can't be every job out here can't just be like, oh, okay, look, we have one black person going to our school, uh, going to our, our working environment or, or uh, a school's like, hey, here's a black face. You know, like, look at us. We accept everybody or, you know, we give a fair chance. You have people not taking this serious, and that is a major concern. And that's why I am angry. That's why we are protesting. That's why I'm calling out Republicans and I'm calling out GOP because they are a vehicle to oppress people. You know, 
to make sure that white privilege and that society keeps them at a certain level and leaves us behind. Like, oh, whatever, I don't care about you. You know, um, same thing with, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor's case. Uh, I believe the guy that actually, uh, the attorney, the Kentucky Attorney General, what's his name? I think it's, um, oh yes, his name is Daniel Cameron, you know. Um, there he is right there, black guy, you know, like, and he's having an engagement party. Meanwhile, you got everybody across the country, not everybody, but you got many people and many people of power demanding for justice of Breonna Taylor. You know, and so now once a, 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 a protest happens, right, once there's some sort of media coverage of things going crazy, now, you know, we have an investigation to the case. But beforehand, when she was killed, her family's grieving and, you know, grieved and still grieved, she was put in the ground and the world kept turning, it didn't matter, right? But it took an outlash of protest and, you know, people demanding for, these, for, for there to be some sort of accountability. Because America is racist. America wants to protect white people. And it does not care about people of color. And it's been built on the backs of slaves. It was stolen from native people. And that's the way they continue to operate. That's the way That's the way the country operates. And if you get too big and too high and mighty, they'll cut you down. They'll come after you. They'll blow up your whole city, right? Like what happened in uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We need to truly acknowledge how messed up this country is and how we're sick and tired of it. And the only way we're going to change is if we actually get up there and we run for these positions of power, we actually become active members in our community. Because if we are not in our best interest, who will be? I'm a black man, okay? I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm a black man. I'm a very proud black man. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of everything I've done. And if I, you know, cannot be my biggest advocate, you're telling me there's a problem with me being a black man, with supporting black rights. Of course I'm gonna be my biggest advocate. I'm a black man. But you have people that will try to silence you. You have people that will tell you you're wrong. Oh, you're too black. That's too much of a hairstyle for the office. We must police you. That's what the reality is for people who look like me. And it's been the reality, but no more. And so, you know, one of the things for me that really resonated, and I realized this when I was in law school, you know, I was a victim of domestic violence. You know, I had somebody, you know, uh, accuse me. A law student, a white woman, harass me and make my life pure hell. And then try to be silenced by the police department, the Bristol Police Department, and the, the Public Safety Department at Roger Williams Law School, at Roger Williams University, and the law school themselves try to silence me and put me in a place where I was just tormented. As much as I had been through, you know, and, and, and like I said, I'm thankful because I'm here right now doing this podcast, recording this, but I could have, it could have gone another way. I could have been a victim. I could have been a victim of somebody, you know, um, you know, violence and, you know, dead or unjustifiable killing. I could have been the victim and, and been locked up, you know, behind somebody's lie. You know, I'll speak, you know, on behalf of this Kentucky Attorney General, Daniel Cameron. I think that what happens is this individual is a black man, probably most likely experienced everything you know, for the most part that I experienced growing up or any black man in America experienced. I think that when he got to law school and he got a position of power, you know, subsequently he took on a new identity. And I, I don't know if he's, his hands are tied. I, I do know that prosecutors have a, a large uh, 
uh, latitude to pursue how aggressive they're going to pursue a case. But I will say that one of the things that was difficult in law school was that as a black man, when you, you have this identity and then all of a sudden, you know, you're being taught this new skill, this new trade, this new hat that you have to put on. And oftentimes it was difficult because the law would just go completely the other way, you know, and you have this perspective as a black person where you're like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. This is not how the world works. This is racism. I'm reading the facts here. This is clearly something here that's underlying, you know, illegal, you know, or discrimination. And the law would be like, whatever, you know? And so I think that, you know, the hard part for me was always maintaining who I am as a man and also as a black man and also learning this new skill to think like a lawyer because, you know, it didn't ever really match up. You know, and so that was, you had to fight the knee-jerk reaction. And I say, well, this individual, as he's smiling in the world and every, all these celebrities are, you know, protesting and going to jail and regular people are demanding justice for Breonna Taylor and this girl's family is grieving. He's taking an oath to protect the people, you know, um, and he hasn't done anything. You know, or made any sort of statement about, oh, we're going to open an investigation, you know. Well, now there has been, but at first there wasn't. You know, I think that this black man truly is, at a, you know, like, has some issues that need to be addressed. And I'm going to call you out. Yes, I'm calling you out. Because you are really not upholding, you know, the oath you took. And also, as a black person, I really think that it's kind of a, you know, it, it's, you know, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to reserve my words for now. You know, but uh, but moving on, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, Elijah McCain. You know, Elijah McCain um, was here uh, in Aurora, Colorado, um, you know, walking home and was killed unjustifiably. I mean, he was a nice guy. He was a young man, and I believe that he used to go to the um, animal shelter and play like the violins for cats. A nice boy was killed on his way home. Seriously. Meanwhile, you know, by the Aurora Police Department, the officers weren't even brought to justice or any sort of, you know, charges. But you had this individual, James Holmes, the guy who did the Aurora um, movie theater shooting, where he shot and killed 12 people and injured over 50 people who was peacefully arrested. See, these sorts of parallels that we draw between one black boy walking home in Aurora, Colorado, and then this other guy who kids his mass shooting, you know, and how the police handle situations indicates there's a problem in America. Black boy, black boy who's walking home, white serial killer. He's arrested, gets the ability to stay in trial, Black boy Elijah, oh, he's dead. He's stolen from us. His life is stolen. His opportunity to be, to grow up and be an incredible individual and, and to contribute to society, to continue to contribute to society has been stolen by these officers. Do you see the, the difference? But it happens so much. You know, we could go on and on and on. These things have been happening and all summer long. I really think that we experience a lot of that with a lot of the protests and, you know, things that happen, you know, all over you know every time you turn around it was always a situation you know and so um it's just because america's racist and we've got to do something you know um they have decided to open a an independent investigation to the elijah mclean case you know aurora you know aurora city council approved it but that was only after a number of protests it should not always take a protest for there to be accountability the same laws you oppress us with we expect you hold the officers to us but do they do it? No, because America does not like to 
prosecute white people and it doesn't it likes to it's a white privilege it doesn't want to tackle that but we have got to tackle it you know it's the same thing you know right now with um at one period during the summer summer 2020 there was a bunch of black people that were being found in public places being hung you know with black people, I can speak for my community, when we when we suffer a loss like that, when someone is, you know, um, become a victim of senseless violence, you know, uh, or a hate group uh, or something, it hurts all of us. And we know what hanging represents uh, historically here in America, um, as well as, you know, no matter, it doesn't matter whether you're white or black. Doesn't matter what race you are, we know what hanging represents. But there was a series of hangings across America of black people that were, you know, found to be hanging, and then it was told to be suicide. Now I am not gonna speak on the matter of suicide, but what I will say that as black people, that's not what we do. Okay, we we don't we we do not publicly hang ourselves as a trend. That's not something as a people that resonates with us. I'm not going to say commit suicide because I don't think anyone should commit suicide. And if you are contemplating that, I encourage you not to do that. And I encourage you to get help because I love you. You're beautiful, you know, no matter what shape, form you are. But I will say that there is something wrong with this picture here. And that it happened. It happened and then it just goes away. And I'm sick and tired of this happening. I think we all are sick and tired of this happening. Where people are, you know, uh, killed unjustifiably and there's suspicious circumstances and then it comes up and it's gone. It's gone. As simple as that. I think that we as a people have got to do something because if we don't, well, we're just going to sit in the same situation. You know, today we laid to rest um, the late Congressman John Lewis. You know, he did a lot for the civil rights movement and continued to do so, you know, up until his last public appearance. I think that we can learn something from our past generations. I think that uh, we're in a place where, um, I mean, he went to like, jail, like arrested like 40 times, I believe. And I think that we have got to do something because every day that passes is another day we lose someone, whether they got notoriety or fame from the work they get in the civil rights movement or not. But every day people grow older and we it's another day where we can lose someone who fought for our rights and who continues to fight for our rights. And I think that, you know, we've got to think about who's going to pick up that mantle. You know, we've got to almost learn from like, you know, like the white collectivism a lot of times where, you know, they open doors for each other. We have got to come together and we have got to pick up the mantle of our um, activists in our community because, you know, he may be gone, but his legacy is not. You know, the work that he did still continues. And while we sit here and we may be on social media and we may be having a, thinking we're having a good time, there's so much work to be done and we have got to become our biggest advocates. You know, I was thinking, I said, you know, when Al Shopton goes on to be with the Lord, and hopefully that is no time soon at all, you know, who's going to be that person that kind of has that platform to speak on the behalf of black rights? You have a few political commentators here and there, you know, but I'm not saying Al Shopton is the you know, it's the only person, but he is one of the pioneers you think of from the civil rights movement who kind of comes forward and takes a platform, makes a statement when some sort of huge form of inequity and justice happens. And I think that we've got to start thinking about who's going to take that mantle. We have got to do it. I am. I'm thinking of things right now that I can do. You know, Bipartisan Times is just one of those vehicles that I can use to get my voice heard and also give others a platform to voice their concerns and share their stories. 
But we've got to start thinking about that. Because, you know, when they're gone, what's going to happen? You know, they didn't do these things for fame. They did it so we can be, you know, live the life that we live today. But there's so much work that we have to keep right on fighting for. You know, um, as I look for, you know, to hearing from people, you know, I look at the work that governors are doing and, you know, mayors and how they, you know, took down statues. Yes, that's great. That's wonderful. But at the same time, we need a lot more than statues being taken down. We need a lot more. We need a plan. We, we, we need to we need to collaborate. And I think that, you know, we need someone to say, OK, here's what's going to happen here. Not be so divided because of, oh, you're Baptist, oh, you're Protestant, oh, you're, you know, Muslim, oh, you're this and that. No, we're all people of color. And as divided as much as Trump is trying to divide us, we have got to fight that. You know, as coronavirus continues to kill, I think we passed 150,000 deaths already. And the CDC has projected, you know, a, a, many more people to die from this thing. Um, you know, we have really got to think about how we're going to move forward. You know, we can't be foolishly having parties and whatnot, um, you know, sitting up here congregating without masks. You got those Trump supporters sitting up there who will purposely not wear a mask and challenge the law, you know, and sit there. I mean, they'll use whatever platform they can they use the bank for you as a platform. They use anything they can as a platform to let you know, it's my American right. I don't have to wear a mask. Many people don't understand their rights here in America. They get a little bit of a snippet of something and they run with it. I think that, you know, you get to truly understand that, yeah, actually you can wear this mask because, you know what, the health, safety, welfare, and morale of the people right now is that, you know, the government's requiring it. You know, there's certain things that, you know, you don't know, but people will sit up here and make these ridiculous arguments and be like, it's my right. The same people that support Trump are the same people he don't want in his country club. I can tell you right now, many of the supporters that are not wearing those masks right now, out here, the KKK, these white supremacist groups, he don't want you in his country club. But you sit here and you support him. You sit here and you promote hate and you divide the country and then you, you argue that you love this country so much. You know, we as a people and black people, we've got to come together. Today, we also lost the former uh, Republican presidential candidate, Herman McCain. He died of the coronavirus after defeating stage four cancer. He went to Trump's rally and what happened? Without a mask. And I can't say for sure he caught it there, but I mean, you go to a mask, you're asking about a mask nowadays, it's likely you're probably gonna pull back the coronavirus, you know, or whatever bacteria or viral infection. You're gonna probably pull something back because right now things aren't looking too good when it comes to that. That's not the smartest thing you wanna do. You know, we've gotta take this thing serious. You know, and I'll leave on this last segment right here of, um, you know, and we actually do something in our community, actually, you know, run for different elections and whatnot, city council, Congress, what have you, you know, because we need to become advocates of our own community um, with power to do that. You know, you have people like Lindsey Graham who darkened the photo of his um, opponent you know, to show that people like me with my beautiful chocolate skin are, oh, look, this black man's running against me. You've got to vote for me. You know, I think that first of all, there should be nobody sitting in Senate or anywhere or, the, or House, anywhere in Congress for 30 years, 20, 30 years. Term limits are much needed, okay? But they're there 
to protect the institutional racism, to continue to oppress people of color, to make sure that white privilege exists. They are there for a reason. And we have got to wake up people. And we've got to play ball back with them. And we've got to run and we've got to elect and we've got to be activists in our community and voice our concerns. And not be sitting up there reciting all these stupid songs, you know, thinking that we're doing something different. No, we need to create something. We need to, we need to come together and support each other. And on that note, I'll see you next time on Bipartisan Times.